1977, we sent out a spacecraft called the Voyager. One of the missions is as it would slingshot from one of our planets to the next, that ultimately it could leave our solar system, which would be unprecedented, and get into interstellar space. So I'll show you a picture because something's unique about this. These, these astronauts, they're mounting what's called the golden record right on the Voyager. It's mounted on the outside. It's protected by this amazing aluminum shield. This golden record is designed to last a billion years. It was created in six months, and it was created with the thought that if there's intelligent life out there, we want them to know about Earth, our civilization, some of our great cities. So there are pictures on this. There's uh, a letter from the then president, Jimmy Carter, all kinds of sounds like rainfall, different animal sounds, the sounds of two people kissing. Because, you know, they may need to know how to do that, you know. So it it is so fascinating. And on the record, they they chose some music. Now, can you imagine trying to decide uh, you want to put the sounds of earth? You can't have a lot. They said, we're going to put three. So they, they put three on. They all start with B. One was Bach. One was Beethoven. What do you think the third one was? I hear the Beatles. Last night I heard Justin Bieber. <laughs> Man, in my head, he wasn't even a baby, baby O then. So, so, <laughs> so, let me tell you, the third B was Chuck Berry. So imagine they have it right now, and it's Johnny B. Good, like out in interstellar space. You say, well, how would they ever know uh, how to access it? So let me show you the cover of the record because they, they gave instructions. So up at the top right, it shows them that the, how the record would rotate just below, how the stylus would be placed because there is a stylus there. And then below is the starburst, and that's got binary code telling them how fast the record should turn. Again, this is intelligent life. If I found that, I'm like, is this a donut? (laughs) So up top left, those waves, those are pictures in analog form. And then just below, again, the code of how to access those pictures. And so they would know that they're they're getting it right. Those two boxes are actual pictures. They would be the first ones that they would see so they would know hey, you, you, you've broken into it, you're getting it, and they would see all these pictures. There are also greetings from Earth, and I, and I have the soundtrack, and I want you to hear some of these greetings. And just imagine uh, if somebody gets this and they're hearing it for the first time. Hola y saludos a todos. Shalom. Selamat malam hadirin sekalian. Selamat berpisah dan sampai bertemu lagi di lain waktu. Здравствуйте, приветствую вас. Sawadika, sahai nai thorni phon. Jelimo vam sve najlepše sa naše planete. Hello from the children of planet Earth. And that's the last voice you hear. So we have a golden record 
out there in the cosmos. Here has been my thought preparing for today is how the God of that cosmos. And just so you know, in 2012, that Voyager, it did leave our solar system. And it's out there. It's still traveling today. It's fascinating. But the God of the cosmos, of the galaxy, made sure that you and I would understand how we got here, what life is about. So 1,600 writers over, or 40 writers over about 1,600 years from three different continents wrote under the inspiration that was coming into their heart. 40 different writers, but one author. That author is God. That assimilated into what is now our Bible. Infallible, the moral authority. Regardless what you might ever hear in the streams of culture, the word of the living God will never pass away. It's the authority of creation, of life, and eternity. And probably most everyone in this room, it has landed in your heart. And you have an understanding that in the beginning, God created. He created heaven and earth. He created you. You understand that God, by that word landing in your heart and the truth unfolding in your mind, that God is beginning and end. That God not only is your creator, that because of sin, he then acted in such a way as to be our redeemer. And that's where we see the love of God in action, such love that he would give his only son. And if we put our trust in him, submit our life to him, then we will not perish, but we will have everlasting life. That's John 3.16 that I'm sure has landed in your heart by the goodness of God, but don't leave out verse 17 because it tells us so much about God. It says it's his heart and his desire that not one person would perish, but everybody would come to repentance. That's his love. And so his son comes in Jesus, perfect in his humanity, yet without diminishing his deity, was the one found worthy to die on a cross in your place and mine, bearing all of our sin and its consequences. And on that Friday afternoon, he died. But we celebrate today, Easter morning, Resurrection Day, where when they went early to the tomb, they found that the stone had been rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that we could see in and hear the angel say, you're seeking the living among the dead. He's not here. He has risen. Here's the truth. Just as he said, Jesus is alive. The receipt, the validation is the empty tomb. And he, by his power, can make a new creation out of you and me. He doesn't just make bad people good because we are worse off than just in a bad condition. Spiritually dead is how we are defined, but there is one who is so rich in his mercy and so great in his love that by his death and resurrection, he makes us alive by the grace of God. 
we are saved. Go ahead and take a praise break. It's Jesus, the man of mercy, the man who bore our sorrow, chastened for our peace, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes, we are healed. That is a prophecy from Isaiah. And that kind of truth was landing in his heart about this one who would come. And he's trying to articulate what it would be like and who he would be and how we would know. And the capacity of this love that everything we deserve for our sinfulness would be placed on him. And then his perfection would be placed on us so that we can be reconciled to this one and only God and have a life that is to the full and abundant here and now and have the assurance that when we end it here, we start it in a place called heaven prepared for us because it's not just life, it is eternal life. Thank God. Thank God for his grace, his mercy, and his love. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, and I want you to see this, Ephesians 1, 19. It's a prayer. Paul is praying for all of us. He's praying for those that he was writing to at a church in Ephesus. He says, here's what I pray, that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The word toward is also interchangeable with the word in us, that you would know this immeasurable greatness, the immeasurable greatness of his power that is at work in us who believe. Paul wrote many of the books in the New Testament. Paul was a brilliant man. Paul had like an Ivy League education. Paul understood language, the use of language. Paul was inspired of the Holy Spirit. And yet when we get to this verse, we watch this brilliant anointed man struggle to find words to match the revelation that he was trying to communicate. He's getting a revelation of the greatness of God. And he's like, yet it's beyond that. It's not enough just to say he's great. So he adds a description. He says it's immeasurable, like it's unlimited. Like, like if, you, if you put any metric to it, it will be insufficient because his greatness is immeasurable. You and I have the, the blessing of these translations of the Bible that, that now are available. And, and it's where these people have spent hours trying to dissect the Greek New Testament and then put it in our language so that we could wrap our mind and have our heart challenged and inspired by what was being said. So I'm showing you now how this verse is translated in these different versions. The Message Bible, and hear the distinction, it's a paraphrase. These others that I show you, they are a translation. They are a version of the Bible. This is a paraphrase of the Bible. So the Message Bible speaks of this immeasurable greatness in this word, extravagance. Paul says, I'm praying that you would understand the extravagance of God's work toward you and in you. NIV, 
He said, it's great. It's, I got to find a word. It's incomparably great. Nothing beside it, beneath it, above it. No point of reference to try and say, get it? It's, it's without compare. It's, it's incredible. It's exceeding. Like when, when you define something as great, like there's nothing higher. That's the top level. That's the top shelf. You can't go beyond that. And Paul's like, I know, but this goes beyond it. So he says, exceeding greatness. I wish there was a word, but there's not. I'll just say, I'm telling you, it exceeds what we would know as the highest. It surpasses what we would know as the most magnificent. And so in this verse, Paul says, all right, instead of trying to find the word, I'll illustrate it. And we are given an illustration, the illustration that would communicate the immeasurable, incomparable, exceeding, surpassing, extravagant power of God. And here's what it says. And God worked this power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand, placing him far above all rule, authority, and dominion, and any name that is named both now and forevermore. So he's expressing this power is eternal in its greatness and victory as demonstrated when Jesus died, but on Sunday he rose again. Creation of the world, magnificent. Creation of humanity, incredible. How do you even describe it? It's so meticulous, it's so magnificent. But that wasn't what God chose to communicate this level of power. There was one illustration, and it's what we're here talking about today. Look at that tomb. It is empty. And that's the illustration of the greatest power humanity has ever known or will ever know. This is why Easter is so much more than a date on a calendar. It is an experience because it's not about an event and it's not about some story. It's about a person. And the person is Jesus. He died, but he rose again so that you could be reconciled to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I would like to make application. We, we, we have the info. The information is he's incomparably great. The illustration of that, the empty tomb. The triumphant victory of Christ who reigns. The application which turns this into an experience, which moves you to perhaps a life-changing encounter today with this amazing grace, comes to you and me through the life of Peter. Peter was there in the Garden of Gethsemane along with the other disciples, except for Judas. As Judas got dark in his heart, and betrayed the Messiah, sold him out 
The Roman soldiers came into the Garden of Gethsemane to apprehend Jesus. Peter fights back. You remember the story? He even cut off the ear of one of the Roman soldiers. He's going. He's going. It's like, you know, you're not taking Jesus. And Jesus is like, Peter, put the sword away. And they take Jesus. The other disciples, they scatter in confusion, shock, and even fear. But Peter, he follows a little bit at a distance, but he can't stand for Jesus just to be taken away. They take Jesus through a courtyard into what would be known as Pilate's Hall of Judgment. Peter can go no farther than the courtyard. And while he's there in that courtyard conversing with somebody, a girl hears him talking and says, I can tell by the way you're talking that you're one of his. You're one of the followers. And so in fear of what might happen to him, Peter makes the worst mistake, the greatest failure of his life. He denies Jesus. The story unfolds that even a second time, she challenges him, you're one of his, and one version says with an oath, like putting this, this strong emphasis on his denial. One version says, or with cursing. Like, let me make it abundantly clear. I'm not one of his. Then Luke records something that none of the other writers record. That when Jesus was coming out across that courtyard, after he had been beaten, now you know the torturous ways of the Roman soldiers. Jesus has the crown. He's been whipped, tortured within an inch of his life. He's being brought across that courtyard. And right as he's being brought across, the girl challenges Peter a third time. And Peter says, I don't know him. And at the third denial, Luke records that Jesus, in that beaten, bloodied state, looks over and locks eyes with Peter. Can you imagine? And at that moment, the rooster crowed. Now that part may be interesting, like why is that inserted in the story? Because the writer wants us to know that from this point forward, every day that Peter wakes up, it will be with that familiar sound because it was so familiar in that culture. Everybody there would hear it every day. And so Peter's future would start daily with a reminder of his greatest failure. And no doubt he would fight an image in his mind of having locked eyes with Jesus, having been tortured and beaten. Failure can result in guilt because of the action of our lives but guilt can grow and become shame shame is where failure is not just an action of my life it becomes my identity it's not that I failed it's I'm a failure a miserable failure no doubt that's what happened to Peter because Peter says to his associates, this is even after the resurrection, I've messed it up. 
I, I won't ever be included on the team again. What I did, it, it went too far. There's no coming back from this. So the Bible says he went back fishing, which is his way of saying, I'm going back to my old life. And so we find Peter and some of the disciples fishing. Jesus, after his resurrection, he shows up on the shore. What's he going to say? Is he going to say, hey, Peter, you're a loser. And I just wanted you to hear me say it. Like, I've got a lot to do, but I just wanted to take a moment and say, I can't believe you would deny me in that moment. Is that what Jesus is going to say? Is, he, is that the God of Scripture? Is that what Jesus is like? No, Jesus shows up and he asks the most interesting question. They're out fishing and Jesus says, hey, Peter. Or he says, hey, have you caught anything? Now, Jesus has never asked a question that he didn't already have the answer to. So I'm fascinated why he would ask that question. And, of course, the answer is no. And if you ever fish, the only time you want someone to ask you if you caught anything is if you did. You don't want to say no. And in their case, been fishing, like, forever. But let's learn something about Jesus here. See, this truth, it's landing, it's landing it could be possible that some in this, this room, is, you've never heard this. It was just a few months ago on a Saturday night, a young adult walked into our service. He'd never been to church in his life, ever. He never heard this. And we've watched as that young man has turned his heart to Jesus. Maybe that's you. Many of you, you're like Peter. You know all about this. And I'm coming with such, a, such an invitation of grace for you. So Peter is being challenged with this, this person on the shore going, have you caught anything? Then cast your net on the other side is what Jesus said. Now watch as Jesus starts connecting the dots and ministering to this man who has denied him. When Jesus first met Peter to ask Peter to be a follower, it is after Peter had fished all night and caught nothing, Jesus is needing to teach to a large crowd, and he says, hey, could I borrow your boat? Could you take me out from the shore and uh, give me a greater vantage point to teach this message? So Peter does it. And after the message, he said, hey, let's, cast, let's go out into the deep and catch some fish. And Peter said, well, I've... I fished all night, but I haven't caught anything. He said, well, cast your net on the other side. And when he did, he caught so many fish, the nets almost broke and the boat almost sank. And it was there that the Bible says that Peter hit his knees and was amazed and his eyes were opened. And from that day, uh, Jesus said, hey, you follow me. And I'm going to turn you into a fisher of men. Now, three years later, after following Jesus every day, Peter denies him three times. And when Jesus interacts with Peter after the resurrection, the first thing he does, he sees reminding Peter, hey, remember the day. 
when we met? Remember when I came to you? Remember when I worked in such a way that you wouldn't be able to deny who I am? He doesn't start with his failure. He starts with the reminder, hey, I came to you and I'm back. I'm pursuing you. I love you. Peter, realizing that this was Jesus, dives out of the boat, swims to the shore. When he gets to the shore, Jesus is standing by a fire. And the scripture is very specific. It says it was a charcoal fire. I don't know if Jesus built the fire or if he just said fire. You know, <laughs> I know what I would do. And I'd do it all the time. Fire. Fire. And the Bible says it was a charcoal fire. The Bible talks a lot about fires, but there are only two places where it talks about a charcoal fire. That time where Peter's standing in front of Jesus, and when Peter was in the courtyard, the passage says he was standing around a charcoal fire. So Jesus has recreated the experience of when he first met Peter. Now he's recreating Peter's greatest failure. He's going to say, we're about to work through this. And around that charcoal fire, he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, Jesus never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to. So why does he say, do you love me? Because he wants Peter to put it out, put it out in the open. What Jesus knew was true about Peter. Yes, he felt him, but he knew that Peter loved him. You love me? Yes, Lord. You have no idea what it's been like. And like, the Lord's like, well, I probably do. But go ahead and talk about it. Because it'll be good for you. Because you need to say, I'm sorry. Because that's how you recommit. He said, I blew it. I did it. I've been waking up every day in the regret of what I did. In the regret of what it now means to my future. I didn't know that I'd ever be in this conversation with you again. I didn't know that you would have any interest. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Yes. And in those three questions, he's recreating an experience of reconciliation to match the three denials. And instead of Peter being known for his greatest failure, no doubt that's going to become his greatest testimony of God coming in spite of his failure. Peter, do you love me? Lord, Look what I did. For people in this room that would say, if you're going to lead to this idea of coming home, coming back, there may be a lot of people that do that, but it, I've gone too far. Farther than him? Yeah, I've denied him. I've made a mockery 
of the grace that he's shown me. I've made a mockery of the love that he's so freely given. I've turned my back over and over. So this isn't for me. I think one of the things that Jesus was doing in his interaction with, with Peter, because again, it's after the resurrection, he's saying, Peter, he says it to you. I just died. And in my death and my resurrection, I paid for what you did. On your best day, you can't pay for this. On your best day, you're not going to work your way back to a good place. It's my grace. It's my love. It's my mercy. It's the justice that I've satisfied with God that allows you to come. I paid for it. Peter, the only thing that's going to silence the rooster is the resurrection. To anybody here who's dealing with past failure and the regret of it, you're here in the right place at the right time because landing in your heart right now is this truth. There is power to deal with guilt and shame, to change your identity, to set you free, to fully forgive you, to turn you around, to set you on a course of a fullness and a productivity in your life. And it's nothing that man can offer you. Man doesn't have a philosophy. This takes a person with all power. His name is Jesus and he's here today just like he was there with Peter on that day. And he's like, hey, you love me? I know you do. Come home. Come home. Come home. The Voyager is still traveling. But we still get communication from it. But it's so far away. The communication is faint. I want to take the remaining moments of this message because God has embedded something in my heart for today. For people, you hear his voice, but it's faint. And the reason it's faint is because you're so far away. The Lord today is going to ask you to recommit how do you do that? You just, you just say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I want this moment to be just like it's you and me. No one else in the room. I've had some experiences over the last several weeks in prep for this message. And I've come to the point now where I can give the invitation that the Lord's put in my heart through these experiences. First, I was listening to this guy I was in this store and he was talking to a young man that had recently been on like a spring retreat where they had fun all day and great church services at night, life-changing experience. And this middle-aged man, he said to the young man, he said, I used to be part of something called Young Life. I've heard of that. Probably a lot of you have. 
And he said, I attended something like that with Young Life when I was your age. And he said, man, I'm, I'm really far from that. Maybe there's somebody here you'd say, I went to that youth camp. I went to that youth retreat. I went to that deal with Young Life and I was so close to Jesus. I'm so far. All you got to do is say, I'm sorry, Lord. Recommit. I was in the post office and very near me was this guy getting a passport. That worker said, hey, where, what are you getting a passport for? He said, I'm going on a missions trip. That person said, I've been on a missions trip, but that was a long time ago. And I'm, I'm really far from the person I was then. Talking now to people that have drifted. Your marriage isn't what it used to be. Your relationship with Jesus is not what it used to be. Everything's drifting. And in the love of Jesus, it's just you and me. Just say, I'm sorry. And recommit. God put in my heart there would be some men here. Some guys... You're the age to remember Promise Keepers. You were part of it. You attended these events, these Bible studies. You, you had a full devotion to Jesus. Something happened. And you're distant. Come home. felt like I would be talking to some people sitting here in this very service and this is like the charcoal fire you came today we won't get into all the reasons why but as you've been here you're like God you've recreated when you found me the first time. Maybe it was an Easter Sunday. Something happened, you've drifted. Listen, you've gone back to the old life, but you know you love him. You're dealing with all the regret and the voices that say what you can never be, what you can never do, what the relationship you'll never have with Christ because of what you've done. And I'm here, just you and me, to tell you that Jesus paid the price so that you could be restored, so that you could come home. Jesus wanted us to understand him, to know how he is and how he works. So he said, 
me tell you a story. The man had two sons. One just in the worst decision-making and sin went as far from home as he could get. But he came to himself. And that's happening for someone in this room. It's coming back. It's like this whole thing. It's recreating a memory. And you're coming to that moment where like that prodigal, you're like, I'm going home. I'm going home. And when you do, Jesus is like the father in the story who went running to embrace his son. And and the father said, my son who is dead, he's alive. The son had a prepared confession. God, Jesus, da-da-da-da-da. Jesus just looked at those. The father just looked at those that were there and said, get everything that would communicate to my son that he's my son, that he is free, that he is welcome, that he is he has the rights of a son, he has the rights to the future that, that I have for it. My son, who is dead, is alive again. Let's get the party ready. We are going to celebrate that he's home. He's home. God's calling you home. Just say, I'm sorry. That's all you got to do is just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry when I turn and walked away. I'm sorry when I denied your precious name. So take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm sorry when I denied your grace. And I'm sorry I was overcome by shame. So take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. With your eyes closed, in the presence of his grace. If you're one of those people who say, I need to recommit, that's me. Would you just lift your hand right now? Come on, lift it up. That's it. That's it. You're the ones that have been on my heart. But say, just keep lifting. Say, that's me. That's me. Let me invite everybody in the room to stand. Everybody every row, side to side, standing to your feet. I want to give an opportunity just as this confession echoes in this room. You say, I I want to step out of my seat and I'm I'm going to come to this altar and just confess to Jesus my heart, express my full devotion. As we sing this, If that's you, come and let God just 
let you experience his grace and his power as you come home. Just begin to come. If you raise your hand, you want to come down here? Find the nearest sound, come. That's it. That's it. Just come. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is powerful. This is powerful. People are coming. I'm sorry. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry. That's it. This is just the draw of grace. I, I, I felt this would happen. It's just people are coming. We celebrate you. Come as close as you can. Come on. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry. When I your grace and I'm sorry I was overcome by shame so take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you just let it echo I'm sorry people are still coming if that's you come on I'm sorry this is your moment just like Peter People are still coming. Nobody's going to be alone in this. Thank you, God. Thank you for grace, Lord. Thank you for grace. Come home. Come home. Come home. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So awesome. That's it. That's it. I'm sorry. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Such a tender moment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just as he plays as these are seeking the Lord, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, the grace of God has come to you today. The truth has landed that Christ died for you and rose again so that you could be forever changed. And if you want to accept Christ as your Savior, and you feel that compelling in your heart, and you you realize you're desperate for Him, just in this atmosphere, say, Jesus, I confess my sin.
Forgive me of my sin. Make me that brand new person. I, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. And we would love to have you come forward. We'll, we'll pray with you. We'll stand with you. We'll listen to your story. We'll, we'll offer to help you in every way we can. So in this atmosphere, if you need to be saved, just respond. Come on. This is your day. This is your day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Grace is so rich in this place. I want us to all express our hearts. Those of us who know him, let me just put this question out there. How many of you are thankful for the God of a second chance, a third chance, a tenth chance? All of us. So why don't you lift your hands and just be caught up in the presence of the Lord today. Let's sing it. I'm caught up in your presence. Sing it, everybody. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. That's it. Lift your hands with me and let's worship him. I'm caught up in so thankful that you're a God of the second chance. 
and so many more. And I thank you for the people that have recommitted to you on this Easter Sunday. Once again, your grace has proven to be the greatest power to express the greatest love this world has ever known or ever will know. I pray blessings on everybody here. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine upon them. Let them have their best days and the best year in the mighty name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, God bless you, everybody.